0: I'm Jessica Harris, this is From Scratch. My guest is Michael Dubin, co-founder of Dollar Shave Club, a membership club for men's grooming products. For less than $10 a month, customers receive products ranging from razors to hair gel. Michael launched Dollar Shave Club in July 2011 and the company grew to $65 million in revenue in roughly two years. Michael graduated from Emory in 2001 and worked in marketing prior to starting Dollar Shave Club. He also did improv comedy at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I love that little fact. What was your goal in signing up for those classes? Did you think, oh, I want a career in comedy one day, or it was just sort of for brain flexibility?
1: I had always loved the comedy industry and... You know, I wanted to study it. I grew up watching Saturday Night Live, and I wanted to know how those guys did it. And I always had a reasonably good sense of humor, so I thought this sounds like something I'd be interested in in training in. Spent a lot of money on those classes, but they paid off because it helped me immeasurably uh, with with Dollar Shave Club. So I'm, I'm grateful for it.
0: So you grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, your mom was a teacher, uh, and then she became a, she worked in real estate as a real estate broker. That's right. And your father is an attorney. What kind of law does he practiced tax
1: law I applied to law school you know during the confused years of my early to mid 20s I was working at NBC and NBC News at the time and and uh, then I had a marketing job that didn't pay a whole lot and I you know I had a father who was like, yeah, you really should be thinking about law school. So I took the LSAT and applied and thankfully didn't get in.
0: So you found yourself at a party in 2011 and <clears throat> you met Mark Levine and he was the father of a friend's fiance and you got to talking about shaving. How did the conversation arise? Do you remember it specifically?
1: Yeah, yeah I do. So Mark was one of these guys who uh, had done a lot of business in Asia. And, um, you know, he was like our... our. We had a family friend growing up who would always show up with, like, a truck full of soccer balls or, like, a truck full of bikes. And, you know, he'd honk the horn and we'd come down the driveway and he'd be like, hey, do you guys need some bikes or soccer balls? And we'd be like, sure, John. We we could use some bikes and soccer balls. Uh, and Mark Mark was one of these guys similar to, to our friend John um, where he just was kind of always... Buying stuff and and bringing it somewhere else and selling it, and there were a couple of things he had in his warehouse. One was uh, some cake slicers that are shaped like an actual wedge of cake. No more fussing around with you know a knife and having to make two motions. One fluid motion, mm-hmm. wow. cake slice. And and then he also told me that he had two hundred and fifty thousand uh, twin razor blades uh, that he had uh, un- been unable to sell in in uh, in a drugs in the drugstore. Um, and he knew that I had experience with the web, and he said, you know, any interest in helping me with any of this stuff? And so, um, you know, I had I had two choices. I had the cake slicers, or I had the razors, and you know, almost instantly I had the idea for Dollar Shave Club because guys for so long had been, myself included, frustrated with the process of going to the store um, to, to to buy this stuff. You have to find the locked razor fortress, you got to find the guy or the girl with the key. They're always doing something else. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I just thought there was a a much better way to to do it.
0: Where was this party, by the way? Was it in New York?
1: No, it was in Los Angeles. I'd moved to L.A. in 2009.
0: Why did you, by the way, move to L.A. from New York City?
1: Oh, well, uh, I came for a girl and for a job. Mm -hmm. And I left the girl and I left the job. You started working
0: out of your apartment selling the razors, and you created a website. Did the customers come?
1: Um, Yeah, so from 2011 to 2012, we had a beta website where we were testing different you know ways of selling the razors. We had bulk and we had subscription, and ultimately, uh, and we had one-off. So I ran that site till uh, early 2012, uh, and we filmed the video, and that's what kind of brought us into the the modern era.
0: You referred to this video. Um, this was a kind of bare bones humor. Thank goodness for Upright Citizens Brigade kind of helping to inspire such comedy. You got help from Lucia so. Aniello uh, to help you make the video, and she is a writer on Broad City and Time yeah. Traveling Bong how much went into this production of the video
1: the making of this video which has taken on kind of you know lore of its own is is a major reason for our success and i have a few i have a few things to thank you know one is my time at the Upright Citizens Brigade, where I learned how to really write strong comedy sketch. And um, our video is, is you know, is essentially a sketch, um, although it's, in an ad, it's an advertisement. The other thing I have to thank is that, you know, my experience there led me to a friendship with Lucia. And Lucia just moved to L.A. Uh, to change her career. And, you know, I said to her, listen, I, I'm, I'm starting a company. I need your help uh, filming this video, which I want to put on our on our homepage. She said, "Great." We picked a day. I had forty five hundred bucks. That's all I had. We shot it in one day in our original fulfillment center, which is in Gardena, California, just south of the airport. We went for it, and um, you know it turned out okay. Uh, and we sat on that for a few months before we launched it.
0: And so, from that video, all of a sudden, you wake up and there are twelve thousand orders. Uh, were you surprised?
1: Uh, i was I was totally shocked. I mean, this is one of these moments as a founder at a company that you kind of dream will happen, but never actually think will happen. You plan for months and months you you invest your life savings into something, you think you have a good idea, everybody tells you you don't, and then you launch this video, and within a matter of two hours, your site has crashed because of traffic. That, to me, was terrifying, because in one moment, I thought my wildest dreams had turned into my worst nightmares, and we're very fortunate that we recovered from that moment and that people stuck around and tried again to come to the site and that you know we endured a few days worth of of press around it to keep people coming back
0: who did you show the video to prior to launching it like what did your parents think of it or mark or
1: yeah my you know i showed it to a few friends who really liked it i showed it to my i remember i was skiing with my family the weekend before we launched the video and i showed it to them and uh, they looked at it and they were like yeah that's a, it's not bad Tax attorney. Yeah. No, my dad has a great sense of humor. So does my mom. So does my mm-hmm. sister. We're all we're all funny people. But, you know, for some reason, this vi- video, I mean, I got maybe a, a snort mm-hmm. or two. Mm-hmm. Not not encouraging for somebody who just spent the last year and change working on this project and was about to kind of go big.
0: Yeah. How did you launch it? You just like put it up there and hope that people come? Or was there something behind getting the viewers?
1: So, we had raised a million dollars in seed capital from investors, and we strategically timed the announcement of the funding. Uh, with the relaunch of the website, with the launch of the video. Mm-hmm. And we did that at a time of year when people are waiting for a technology story, which is to say right before South by Southwest. There's a little bit of a quiet period before, every, you know, eyes are on Austin. I think the festival started on the 7th or the 8th, and uh, we launched this on the 6th. And all the media that covered um the launch used the video to tell the story. So it went from the tech press to the mainstream press.
0: Hmm. Before you raised a million dollars, you had raised like $100,000 from one investor in Los Angeles. Who was that?
1: Yeah, the group is called Science. Um, They're they're an investor based in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And when they wrote out the check, uh, they wrote me a hundred dollar check by accident instead of a hundred thousand dollar check, which for anybody that knows the folks over at Science, uh, you know that that has special special <laughs> meaning and humor.
0: <laughs> and then you went on to raise capital from Andreessen Horowitz and Forerunner and Kleiner Perkins and Venrock. Talk to me about your first couple customers. Do you remember who they were?
1: Yes, um, I remember. Our, I remember that in the early version. I'll never forget my first customer's name. His name was Imran Charnania from Houston Texas mm-hmm. um, I don't know what happened to him. I should look up and see if he's still a member uh, but but good old Imran Charnania uh, was the first customer of Dollar Shave Club. I mean that validation is gold there's nothing there's no money amount of money that's going to make you feel as good as somebody else with a real brain and a real pocketbook saying yes to your idea. I mean, that feeling is is uh, you know irreplaceable.
0: I want to talk about uh, the second video that you launched, which was video number two in which uh, One Wipe Charlie's feature prominently, uh, which is just basically, you know, wipes for men's butts. Did you get that idea because so many people were asking for number two? Or what was the chicken and the egg there?
1: Well, Yes, thank you for the very polite way of saying wipes for men's butts. Mm-hmm. Um, men are using wipes, and they're just not talking about it. Uh, and that's not just men with kids. I was using wipes back in college because a friend turned me on to it, and it was a much more pleasant, comfortable way to solve the problem. If Dollar Shave Club is, is successful at anything, it's it's uh, speaking with a relatable voice to our to our members and getting them to change their behavior around their grooming. And, you know, we sell thousands of these things a day. I have people that come up to me in airports and tell me how it's changed their life. I had a guy stop his conference call in an airport, open his backpack, and show me that he was carrying our travel wipes. And I had a guy in a hot tub uh, come up to me, swim up to me uh, in, in Hawaii and say, Sorry to bother you. I just have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of these one wipe Charlies. My girlfriend actually made me buy them because she says I wasn't doing a good enough job.
0: Wow. Okay. And, and
1: so you know, I feel like I feel like you know, uh, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I now I know what doctors kind of go through when when a doctor tells somebody that they're a doctor, they get all kinds of like unsolicited information. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what happens to me now. <laughs>
0: Uh, so men's grooming uh, it seems like there's um, that men are taking more ownership over their aesthetic life. Why do you think that is?
1: Well without trying to sound too pitchy mm-hmm. uh, I will I will tell you that you know it's our belief that men, are sort of evolving emotionally and physically as it relates to this category. You know, the United States is is behind Asia and Europe in, in sort of the sophisticated nature of, of men's grooming. Uh, there, there have been guys that, you know, are kind of your standard, you know, PERT plus Irish spring guys, not, just to pick on two kind of legacy brands. You know, they just kind of grab whatever's there. To them, soap is soap. And then there's a lot of guys who are very proud to say, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking very critically about the ingredients that go into my daily face moisturizer with SPF. So you got to get guys all over the map.
0: My son, who's five, the other day started uh, using gel in his hair. So we bought him like dippity-doo. And it was striking to me that he doesn't have any cultural influence, but that was just an innate uh, interest in hmm. making sure his hair looked good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use gel in your hair?
1: I don't use gel. Uh, I use uh, our, our cream, our hair cream.
0: I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Michael Dubin, co-founder of Dollar Shave Club, an e-commerce mail order company for men's grooming products. The company started off by selling razors for a few dollars per month in 2011 and now offers products ranging from hair cream to body cleanser. I noticed that a lot of companies that have launched lately also are, have a similar ton- in, tongue-in-cheek humor. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's that's the best description, but I think of like Sir Kensington's ketchup, right? Uh, or even Oscar Health, or your company, they all have like this pared down humor to them that really resembles each other. Do you get that sense that like in our culture, there's some type of, there's an appreciation for a certain type of humor that, you know, 50 years ago, if you were launching, it wouldn't have resonated as much?
1: Yeah, I think... We as a culture are much more comfortable with humor and pushing the boundaries of humor. We also recognize the importance uh, of, uh, of, of speaking, you know, like a peer to customers, um, you know, and not kind of down to customers. And so companies have gotten much more familiar in their language and their approach. You know, razors at this point are essentially a commodity. I think about what Dollar Shave Club is doing uh, very much like what Starbucks did for coffee. So remember what there was before coffee. Mm-hmm. There, were, or Sorry, before, before coffee, there was darkness, just a black hole in the universe. Um, but before Starbucks, you know, what were you drinking? Folgers, Maxwell House. Uh, it was, you know, relatively unexciting and functional. And then... You know, Howard Schultz came along and said, wait a second, this is a moment in your life that is to be celebrated. Uh, it's a ritual, and mm-hmm. it's something that's um, that deserves a culture. It's all its own. You know, Dollar Shave Club is doing the same thing with the razor commodity and with its men's grooming products. We're saying that this is a really important part of your life that needs to be celebrated and deserves a culture all its own. So when people ask us, are you a, are you a razor company? Are you a, a men's grooming company? I say, actually, no, we're an experienced company. And it starts the moment you see an advertisement and it continues every month that you get a shipment from us.
0: What has been harder for you than you thought in all of this?
1: You know, scaling a company to 200 employees is a very big challenge. It's mm-hmm. very easy for you when you're a small company and there's six people in a room or 25 people in a room. But when you when you scale to 175, 200 people and there are many layers to the organization, your bad habits, um, you know, you don't get away with your bad habits as well. And you really have to put in process. And, and this is not a journey that's unique to Dollar Shave Club. Anybody that's gone from zero to 200 or beyond has been through this. And that, that was uh, harder than I expected.
0: What do your parents make of all this, the, hmm. the teacher and the tax attorney?
1: At first, they didn't really believe what was happening. Because they saw the video. They didn't think it was very funny. And they were kind of taken aback and blindsided by the sudden spotlight on their on their son. Slowly, they kind of got used to the fact that we were doing something disruptive and something that was worth kind of looking at. And, um, you know, now they're, now they're, they're thrilled. I mean, they're, they're super proud.
0: How would your parents describe you?
1: It, well, so when I was a kid, I, they gave me this nickname called the Blitherer. Uh, because I would sort of blither on and I think they meant blither lovingly. I don't even know if blither is a real word, is it? You know, people might describe me as a blitherer now, too.
0: Well, that's hi- ironic because in the videos that I've seen, there's real economy to your writing.
1: I think that's, the, that's what good writing is all about. Um, you know, someone once said, maybe it was Mark Twain, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write a short one.
0: Can you tell me just briefly about your own grooming regimen?
1: Why, yes. My own grooming regimen begins in the morning when I get into the shower, and I'll wash my hair, and then I'll wash my body. Then I'll get out of the shower, and if it's uh, one particular day, I'll shave. Um, after I'm done shaving, I'll put on a daily face moisturizer with SPF, and um, when I'm done, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll sit down on the toilet and use some one wipe Charlies, and you know sometimes I'll snip my eyebrows if I have to. I once saw this barber do something really cool, like cut my ear hair with a with a with a a string like a knitting string. Have you seen this? Oh,
0: yes, women do it. for, oh my their, God. for their brows. Oh
1: my God. Mm-hmm. it's an amazing trick. Yes. how do I I mean, there must be a web video I can watch on how to do that.
0: What might I not know about
1: you? I make really good homemade popcorn. Why is it? Why is it so good? Yeah, what makes it. Well, I don't make microwave popcorn. It's a commodity. It is a commodity because I build an experience around it. (laughs) Um, It's my way of saying don't make microwave popcorn. What else? Uh, let's see. When I first moved to California, I, I had an apartment that was near the beach and I would see all these sailboats go by and I'd never learned how to sail a boat. So I, I took a couple classes and now I'm a licensed sailor.
0: Has there been um, you know one or two people who have been kind of unlikely allies for you that have really helped to transform, like accelerate the trajectory of things?
1: What's really rewarding and fun is when you meet, uh, reputable, sort of even famous people that are members of Dollar Shave Club, and you're like, "Whoa, mm. that's really interesting!" Like, you know, this person's a member, mm. and and they're like going out of their way to tell me how much they love the club, and that's like really cool. I had this idea in my apartment.
0: For example, well,
1: I don't, um, know, if well, it's I don't know
0: reaching privacy. Yeah, I but- don't know
1: if I, I don't know yeah. if if I'm allowed to do that. I'll, I'll tell you what's the reverse. It was a super bummery is, like, you know, with 3.1 million members, like, members of ours have definitely died. Mm. And that's, like, something that I just actually was thinking about the other day. Yep. Like,
0: How do you end the accounts? Will they stop paying and then you find out that they've died?
1: Usually okay. someone will reach out and say, oh. um, you know, I mean this is it's a pretty morose topic, but, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it is something to think about. Like, somebody that saw a commercial, signed up, enjoyed the club for a time— has now moved on to the great club in the sky, yeah. or the great the great kind of underground club. There's different I'm clubs that you go to after. Look, death is, for, for all the listeners out there, It's it awaits us all.
0: Well, you could turn it into an experience.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My guest has been Michael Dubin, co-founder of Dollar Shave Club. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch.